0: Hello and welcome to Athlete to Adult, a podcast where we guide you through the transition from athlete to adult by talking to those that have lived it. I'm your host, Danielle Day. Thanks for joining us. Today, we're talking to Matt Rogers. Matt spent years as a swim coach at the high school, club, and college level. He's also a certified strength and conditioning coach who now works for a financial firm in recruiting. Matt spends his spare time helping athletes find their best fit in the professional world. Matt, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, thank you, Danielle.
0: We're so happy to have you. Just so our listeners can get to know you a little bit better, would you give them a quick rundown of your background?
1: Sure. I worked in sports, fitness, and training for almost 20 years. Uh, Through college, I did some high school coaching. Um, I mostly competed in, in club swimming. Um, I got out of competing on a high level pretty early around, around age 20. I still continue to, to compete and do, you know, lifeguard competitions and stuff in the summer. Um, but as far as my like, you know, hardcore USA swimming training, I ended that pretty early cause I got into coaching. Um, I did that. And just like you introduced me, high school club, all, you know, college at the end was my last role here in, uh, here in Brooklyn for St. Joseph College, a small D3 program. And that was really fun experience to end my coaching career on. Uh, I've now taken up four year old T ball. Uh I, I did get the head coaching position for that. So that was great. So I um, that was a tough competition. <laughs> excellent. Yeah, absolutely. So now um wanted to get into more of a corporate role as many of the people who are listening probably know sports is a crazy hours type of business. Um, you know, you're working, you're training, you're, tra- you know, training individuals, training athletes, and it's a lot of off time. So I wanted to make a transition, got involved with the, you know, got involved uh, on the corporate side and been doing that for about three years now uh, in the financial world in New York City. Um, and I still continue to try to maintain as many college uh, and athlete connections as I can uh, and give them, you know, my best advice uh, from both perspectives as being a coach and an athlete for so long, as well as now uh, being on the other side of the table and hopefully getting some really good input and actionable advice for their transition out of being an athlete. So I'm happy to share some of those ideas today. And uh, once again, thanks for having me, having me on.
0: Yeah, thanks for spending some time with us. I think like I'm excited to learn about what you have to share, and I'm sure our listeners uh, will be interested as well. Regardless of whether they're, you know, finishing up their athletic career or they've, they're on their first job or they've moved through a couple of jobs, I think that the more information we can have from that, uh, what can kind of seem like a black box of hiring, uh, anything any peek we can get behind the curtain can be helpful. So you have like a side hustle, if you want to call it that, a side gig um, helping athletes. Um, find their, their fit in professional world with your career tour guide. How did you get that started or where did that come from?
1: Sure. Well, at, at this point, it mainly is an extension of, of what I do in my regular job um, in addition to doing something that, that I enjoy. So the majority of what I do is, is, strictly, is strictly volunteer uh, and networking. Related, and what I do um, does help me, you know, build connections and build my network for you know my full time role. So you know, at this time, uh, that's really where I'm going with this at this point, and really just putting together a couple of main ideas that we're going to speak about uh, that I you know want to get out there. So at this time, I've been doing that for about a year since last winter. And like I said, it's mostly volunteer work. Getting myself out there to some college athlete groups, doing podcasts just like this. Um, and at this point, you know, just putting together my main ideas that I think can can help people.
0: That's awesome. So you gave some background where you started your career in a more coaching role. Um, you did a little bit of individual, like entrepreneurial strength and conditioning training work. How did you, what did you learn in the transition from that kind of entrepreneurial world at the beginning of your career into your transition into what we would call a more quote-unquote regular job in your, in your last couple of years in finance?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the sports world in non-revenue sports is basically contract work, Um, you know, unless you're the football coach at Texas or, or, something like that, it's not necessarily a one, a one full-time role type of gig. Um, so you always have your hands in a lot of different things. Um, so basically, you know, 50, 50 coaching, training individuals, uh, doing training camps. I had a training camp that I ran for, for a number of years, uh, small group training with high school athletes uh, that was that was very successful. That's something I, I enjoyed doing. The small group training, um, also did one-on-one training with athletes and general fitness clients, but mostly athletes because that's the circles I run with, uh, for a total of of about fifteen years. Um, I also did a great deal of of private swim coaching, as well. So between my private swim coaching, uh, my private strength and conditioning coaching, and then my Coaching roles, you know, split between them was, you know, basically my my typical work week. Um, I did most of my training uh for that is one-on-one in my and my camps, mostly did that early in the morning uh or on on week on on uh excuse me on weekends. Um, obviously, sports are going on on weekends and things like that too. So managing the schedule was was difficult at, at, at some points. Um, and I also worked full time five days a week um, as a lifeguard in the summer at Jones Beach. So my summers were pretty packed. Summers were like eighty hour weeks, seven you know seven days a week from like starting Memorial Day, maybe a little earlier. Um, you know, with meets going on almost every weekend too. So you know that that was a great deal of time. You know, working from you know, anywhere from like six in the morning to like nine at night, seven days a week. Um, So that was really effective for being able to leverage myself when I did get interviews in something I had absolutely no experience in. You know, I could go in and say, listen, I have no idea about recruiting, but you're going to get a hundred people in front of here who could tell you they they work hard. I, I can demonstrate that I've done that. You know, I worked 345 days a year for almost a decade. Um, so that was really how I got into it because I had to have something different when I went in and interviewed with people. And that's something I, I try to help people on an individual basis with who you know, ask, ask advice of me because I've interviewed now literally hundreds of people in the last three years that have been in this role. Um, so that was kind of a little bit about my, my process. The process was oh, it was long-term, you know, a couple of years. Of, of searching. Like I mentioned, I transitioned out of club, got into college coaching. Uh, believe it or not, well, you, you would know club coaching is, you know, the most time consuming as a coach, even more than college, because you're coaching multiple age groups, you're traveling way more, you would think that college would be but you know, it's not. So that gave me a little bit more time coaching the college team uh, to, you know, build my business. And we did that for a while. Uh, after about a year of being with, with the college job and, and growing my business, probably doubled the size of my business just because I had the time to do so, um, went back to, you know, still was able to maintain my, my part-time summer job at Lifeguarding. And uh, then the full transition, you know, full turnover, going into, you know, one role Monday to Friday, it was an unbelievable transition for me The schedule, um, really opened up my ability to you know, have my weekends back, which is something I didn't have since I was literally, you know, 16 years old or you know, 15 years old wow. until I got se- very serious with swimming. So that was great. Um, and now that I have, you know, kids, it's, it's really important to me. That was one of the main reasons I wanted to switch. Um, you know, uh, something that someone mentioned to me about that transition was like, wow, most people work in a corporate job for 10 years and are like, oh, this sucks. I'm out of here. Let me go start my own thing. They're like, wow, you did that the hard way, and I never thought of it that way. But getting in through the interview process and, you know, finding a place where I could demonstrate, you know, with zero experience, that I could be successful there, you know, was very difficult. So that was a that was a good observation. So I, I did I did it backwards the hard way, but um, I have I got some points on that later on that that we're going to speak about. So I'm just, I'm excited to uh, you know, to get those out there too.
0: What did you feel? Where the biggest differences? Other than the simple, just the time commitment, was there a difference in um, like what you focused on, how you felt about doing the jobs? Like, what what was the biggest impact to you outside of that? Just simple time returning to your daily schedule.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, it, it was it was if really simply. It, it was more than just time. It was. You know, being in sports, I spent a ton of my time on the road going to different facilities. So maybe I was at my, you know, at my boss's gym that I, I rented space from, you know, my, my owner, I should say, I rented space for him, maybe I'd be there at six in the morning, then maybe I'd have practice, maybe I'd go to someone's house to train them, you know, so just that, that constant running around um, was, was something that, you know, that calmed down now I sit in a chair all day um so uh that w- that was great from a, just from a lifestyle perspective um in terms of the 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 transition it was you know being in being in coaching although it has you know nothing to do with what i'm doing now being able to explain to a group or explain to an individual and just communicate effectively is, mm-hmm. is something that i definitely learned through coaching and now being in more of a corporate role i definitely realize you know improvements i could have made uh, on the coaching side, um, I really enjoyed more small groups personally. Small groups and one-on-one. I always thought I was much better at that, so I'm much better suited for for what I'm doing now. I never was a big fan of coaching a large group at one time, um, although obviously I did it for for a long time. It was never something I, I I enjoyed nearly as much as a small group, like say you know six people and under, or one-on-one, or or you know you know something like that. So that was definitely um a transition that that i enjoyed um and uh you know just getting into something new was 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 relieving to you know be constantly constantly learning so that that was definitely a, a great transition was doing something totally new was fresh had a ton of energy to do it
0: how does your experience with your time being an entrepreneur and now your time in a more regular job, how does that color the advice that you give to young adults who reach out to you um, for advice on recruiting or the people that are involved in your recruiting process?
1: Sure. I'll, I'll definitely give you a specific example. So when you're, when you're on your own, when you're self-employed, you have to figure out a lot for yourself. And that's something that people who might have started in a in a corporate role right out of school never had to do. So for example, I remember one of the gyms I was renting one day, randomly, I got a Facebook message from somebody, someone I did not know. And they asked me, you know, what's going on with the gym? Are they closed? So I had all these clients coming in Saturday, you know, a full bill of clients coming in on Saturday. And this random person who I had never met before, emails me. Cause they saw that I, that I'm one of the trainers at this gym. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And the gym's near my house. So I get in the car, I drive down there and it says this, and it says we're, like, we're closed. Like, thank you for all the years of, you know, whatever. And I'm like, what? Like, and the, the owner ne- never told anybody. Wow. Just, just sold the business, walked away, didn't tell anybody. So I had a full bill of clients and this was a lot this, you know, a, a full Saturday is a lot of money to me mm-hmm. um, to say the least. And also you don't want to, you don't want to screw over your people either. You know, you made a commitment. So, you know, just, just going out there and figuring out how you're going to solve an issue like that. You have limited time, you have limited resources and you need to figure out a way to do it and you can't, you can't stop until you've figured that out. So to summarize, you know, I was able to find a new facility. Um, It worked out much better in the beginning. It was much more expensive, but it was a better facility and it ended up being, Overall, better for my business, I believe. So, not not panicking and you know dealing with some of those crazy issues that that come up is 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 definitely a is definitely a skill set in any job. So, sure. if you ha- if you have to you know overcome stuff like that and figure it out on your own, you know you have to be comfortable calling people you've never met before. You have to be comfortable getting out there. You have to be comfortable walking into someplace and, and just start speaking with them if you think. You, you need to, you know, build a business relationship. And that's something that I think a lot of people are, are just frankly afraid to do.
0: Yeah. Along those lines, whether you want to be an entrepreneur or you want to start or stay in a regular job, it's important to have a network. How do you recommend that young adults build a network, maintain their network, develop a network that can help them with their you know, like their upcoming career moves, but also set themselves up for a career and not just one single job that's the one that's right before them.
1: Number one, answer that question for athletes, fortunately, is that you already have some type of network set up for you. Maintain those relationships of people that you are closest with in a couple of different areas, whether that means you know, people who were seniors when you were a freshman, they've already been working for three years. You know, do you keep in contact with them? Those are probably the best, most relevant contacts, and you really are close with them. So that's a specific example. In terms of networking outside of of that realm, you really have to go into it with no expectations. You have to go into it just introducing yourself not asking for anything. No one wants to be asked, you know, for no, something for nothing. Um, yeah. And that's just that's just a fair way to do it. It doesn't mean that eventually someone you know might not help you, um, but have an idea of why you're contacting somebody, um, you know, an alumni or or an athlete in your same sport or something who works at a, a firm that you're interested in. Just see if you if they could answer some questions for you uh, and have a quick conversation. Don't take up too much too much of their time ask them if if you can follow up in in six to 12 months with them, you know, put a, put a timeline and an expectation for them to make it extremely easy and low pressure for them. You know, no one wants to, no one wants to get a million messages because it it takes time to do these things. So, you know, put a fair timeline on it, say, you know, would it be okay if we got back in touch in, you know, six to nine months? You know, most people are not going to say absolutely not to that. Um, And it's more, you're, you're taking all, you're taking all the pressure off of them, So it's a really fair way to do it.
0: I think, I think that's great advice. I think that the informational interview is a good way to kind of set up those networking where maybe you're like one person removed, you might have a common contact, or if it's a cold, cold call or cold email that you're taking a risk on it's it's a reasonable thing to do especially if you put limitations on it and you're very thoughtful in your approach and what you're asking for and the amount of time and effort, effort that you're mm-hmm. asking for from the person you know it's not really appropriate to cold email someone and ask them to be your lifelong mentor but you can cold email or you know get one step away and make a connection with someone And to thoughtfully have a couple questions, ask for a phone call or a coffee if you're in the same city. I think that's a a great uh, piece of advice. So your specialty now is in hiring. If we're going through the process to get hired into a quote unquote regular job as compared to an entrepreneurial job, we're most likely going to go through some kind of hiring process. Different industries and different companies have different processes, obviously, but can you explain what goes on behind the scenes in your um, industry and then just other insights that you may have from, from working in the recruiting field for the last few years?
1: Sure, absolutely. Um, number one, I'm going to give you a, a blanket piece of advice that would be applicable, I think, to any, to any industry or any interview or even a business proposition in the, in the, you know, self-employment type type situation, going in, knowing uh, the, the image you want to portray, you know, not being prepared, but not rehearsed people who interview hundreds of people every year, they, they can spot when you do something very rehearsed and that's not not necessarily a bad thing. That means that you prepared and you practiced, um, but much much better when someone is confident in themselves to approach it in a prepared yet not scripted way. So that's very difficult to do. That takes practice. The only way you can do that is do interviews over and over again. Um, You do need to have some, some buzz sentences. I call it. You do need to have some sort of rehearsed responses so that you're not looking for words during your interview. But that just comes with practice as well. As far as behind the scenes, like secrets, um, really, once you get into the interview process, um, you're in a good position, I would say. Now, obviously, like you said, this varies all over the place. Um, But just getting your foot in the door is is a very good shot now because everybody's competing. Uh, You know, people don't compete in a vacuum. They're competing with knowing that you're interviewing other places or they might have to move quickly if you're at the end of another process. So there's a lot of competition going on there. And I, I find if you're, if you're confident, you know, a little bit about the company and you need to ask relevant questions. You know, I see, I see questions online from all of these, like TikToks and Instagram, little blurbs and people putting on videos. And some of those are good, but they're very generic. When you ask generic questions to an interviewer, it's not necessarily a bad thing, uh, but wouldn't it be great if you asked something that came up during the interview itself? That, that is the most effective question that any good interviewer is looking for. Not, oh, like, what is the, what is the day-to-day? What is the company culture like? You know, those yeah. are okay. You want to address those, but, you know, it, it's much better to address something specific that they were speaking about and say, you mentioned before XYZ, I would really be interested in hearing more about that. That shows that you're engaged. That shows that you're interested in what they're saying. It's showing that you're paying attention. Because remember, it's not just, they're going to, if someone's going to hire you for a job, that means they're comfortable sending you out to do something important, basically. So would you be a a confident representative of of whatever that company objective, you know, whatever that company's objective is. So just being confident, even if you think you're, you're terrible with public speaking, or you get nervous, you know, all of that is fine, because all the people you're gonna be interviewing with, they've never met you before in their life. So if you just put yourself in that mindset, and just get get out of your head, um, which, you know, it's easier said than done. But a good way to think of it, like I said, is, you know, these people have never met me, they don't know that I'm terribly nervous, right? Yeah. So go in there and, and and just be confident. That's a very hard thing to do. Um, but if you put yourself in the right mindset, especially an athlete, they're able to pull themselves out of Uh, you know, out of all all different sorts of of issues when it's game time, right? So you should be able to do that in this situation too.
0: Yep. So we kind of skipped forward to the interview portion. Let's rewind a little bit and go back to the job application Mm -hmm. and or cover letter portion. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think that's, from my perspective, at least, that's the hardest step to make is how you get your application pulled out of the stack. How do you get yourself recognized? So what advice do you have along those lines for applications and or cover letters or any other way to make yourself stand out?
1: Sure. Absolutely. Um, Number one is direct company referrals. Every company does this a little bit differently, but you will get flagged much higher in the stack. So if you have a colleague, uh, you know, networking connection, maybe they they were on your team or something like that, like we were referring to before, Um, and you see you need to come in with information, right? Like I was saying before, whether it's networking, whether it's interviewing, you need to have relevant information. So if you pull out, uh, this is something actionable that everybody can do. Go into a company uh, that you know, former teammates, were, uh, are working at, maybe they were older than you and upperclassmen when you started go into that company. If you're interested in them that they work at, look at some of the jobs there, most larger companies and even smaller companies will have some type of easy way. If you give them the job number, they'll have some type of easy way to flag you as a in-house referral. You'll have to go right into the system. You'll fill out the same application. You'll do all of that. And they will simply you know, flag your name or number somehow in their system. Every, everywhere it happens a little different. Some people will send you a link. Like they go into their, their computer and they pull out the job number and they send you your own link. Sometimes you apply and then tell somebody. So you, you want to try and figure that, that process out because it's different everywhere. And then you never know. Maybe if it's a smaller type place, they'll say, hey, listen, I'll, just, I'll pass this along directly, which obviously is the best because mm-hmm. you avoid some of the automated systems. Um, But really, if you're doing, you know, if you're doing things like that, if you're putting in applications and your resume, you know, has what it's supposed to have on there, um, you know, you don't want to really beat yourself up over that because there's thousands of other people, you know, millions of other people, um, you know, dealing with the same thing. And that's that's much less in your control. So, you know, do the things that are smart. Like I just mentioned, try to get a direct company referral. Uh, go in with information when you ask them. Say, "Oh, look at this job. You know, these two jobs um, don't apply to a hundred different things at the same company. That flags you as well. So, if there's like thirty jobs in New York City for the same company, you know, don't run in there and, and apply for all of them. Pick three that are similarly related, and make sure that the keywords on your resume." match that. A lot of people don't write on their resume exactly what they want to do. These resume uh, applicant tracking systems will pull out keywords. So it's okay to write on your resume right at the top. I am a former college athlete from X college. I want to get into investment banking in Chicago or New York city. Write that.
0: That's the first thing someone's going to,
1: and if some, someone gets their eyes on it they're gonna they're gonna see that right so yeah' um, th- there's, there, there's no you know anyone who tells you there's all this magic behind it it's all very simple make it make it clean, make it look nice um, you know don't put it in some crazy format um, you know some basic formats are, are that are easy to read look you know and, and look tight are good um, if you're going into so I'm in the financial world so that that really is the standard, but I mean, some people tell me in some tech and some creative roles, um, that, you know, the fancy resume is, is what is wanted. So, you know, you have to, you have to adjust, but that, you know, those types of roles, um, you know, creative roles are not my, my expertise, but I, I have heard that, you know, the adjustment there is completely different, obviously, because I want to see, they want to see how, how creative you are. So
0: yeah, that makes the sense.
1: fancy, the fancy resumes are probably good there.
0: There are many skills that athletes learn you know, range from time management and teamwork and leadership and um, delayed gratification, all these kinds of things. Are there specific tangible tips that you can give to showcase those skills that you learned? Maybe the ones I mentioned, maybe other ones. Maybe if you do end up with an interview, particularly before someone who Doesn't already have an affinity for hiring athletes because they know that we typically have developed those skills.
1: Sure. So someone who who may not be directly associated with with being an athlete—that's a good question. So, um, so the people with the athletic background they value it. You're not going to really have to explain yourself. Um, People who haven't, you know, they might have an idea around it. You know, certainly you can mention. Things like time management and, and your effectiveness w- with that particular skill—that's something that a lot of people do not have. Um, people are very distracted now, um, to say the least. So, uh, you know that that is that is huge. That's only getting more and more important. Mm-hmm. Also, it is, you know, overcoming small failures and overcoming difficulties along the way. Being able to accept rejection or things that, that don't go well and, and recovering from that and having to step up again. Um, so effectively demonstrating that is huge in, in a lot of different areas, um, because a lot of people, believe it or not, get out of difficult roles, you know, for, for purely, you know, mental psychological reasons, not that they physically couldn't do the job. They just couldn't, you know, they couldn't mentally handle the, the difficulties and the rejection and the, and the, the little failures along the way. So having having a really resilient attitude and being able to show up the next day, clean slate, you know, every time, no matter what happened, is is something that you're you're basically forced to do in athletics. And you you build your skill over time because um, you have to show up the next day. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, it's something that you build. Well, I guess a better way to say it is, it's something that you're not forced to to build it. You're you're building it without realizing
0: it. <laughs> yeah. I do think that that um I have found particularly in my experience the like goal setting, you know, short term, medium term, long term and whether you achieve those goals or not and dealing with that as well as just receiving constructive criticism and being mm-hmm. yeah. quote unquote cult- coachable those things kind of go hand in hand and I have found them both of those things to be really helpful in my in my first role in the in the real world. So uh, I definitely recommend people going through interviews for their first first roles and moving forward. uh, Make sure to point those out if you think that they would be helpful. So we are going to move to The conclusion of the podcast. We're going to go through a couple quick questions. Uh, You can do quick answers or you can expand on your answers if you want to. The first question is What is one piece of advice you would give based on the lessons you've learned in your job experience in the real world?
1: You have to be looking for what you don't know is out there. Um, Recruiting is an excellent example of an industry and a job and a career. That nobody studies in school. It's not a major. It's not something that anyone's even really aware of, except you know being recruited for their sport perhaps, or or to a college for, uh, you know, for academic reasons or something like that. So it's really something that people aren't familiar with. Um, you know the the job that you're going to get is the job that you don't know exists. So yeah. be open to that. Um, if you want to, if you want to focus on a particular industry, that's fine. But throw out some other unknowns out there too. That's how I, that's how I got into this. Um, I I started getting really good traction and and a lot of interviews uh, for similar roles in in this, in this industry. So um, that was really where I found it. I just happened to, uh, you know, hit a wall. Um, Like I said, I was applying for, for quite some time. So my, you know, my, my, my journey to, to this role you know, it was, was more than two years. I knew I wanted to get out of swimming. It took me over two years, you know, to fully get out of that and get into, you know, the, the lifestyle, the huge change that I, that I was picturing. And you don't really know what that, you know, you don't know what that is till you show up the first day. Right. Yeah. So, you know, there will be, you know, there's a lot out there that you don't even know about. I talk to this with high school students all the time, uh, selecting a college. You know, they all come up with whatever, you know, their high school, you know, whatever their team or wherever everybody goes, they pick like the same eight places, yeah. you know, and, and, uh, you know, everyone's going for those. So I always ex- encourage them to extend their search, look for, look for some majors, look for some ideas that you, you don't even know is out there. Um, in, in the days of, of, of all paper documents, I think that was a lot easier. All the colleges had this, you know, this giant course catalog that had all the majors in it. And you could flip through, you could pick up a book from all your college visits and flip through that book, you know, flipping through a PDF that's 5,000 pages online of all different majors is really not like the most effective thing, but that's how I got into, you know, finding some, some, some majors and some classes that I was really interested in. I studied exercise science undergrad and sports management in, uh, in grad school for my master's. So there's a lot out there that you might not even know exists. So expand your search and, you know, just, just be aware of that. There's a lot out there that you might really enjoy that, that you don't know you can make a living off of.
0: I think that's great advice. I heard someone say recently, and this is my millennialness coming through that for a lot of people, especially in the most recent generations, that the jobs that were available when they started their career compared to the jobs that were available when they were reaching the middle and the end of their career are completely different because of how advanced our technology has become and just there's, the industries have changed. And so that was something I had never thought about in addition to just the industries that exist that we aren't very exposed to until you get into the working world. As time goes on, new jobs are created, new industries arise, and you might be setting yourself up for success down the line in an industry or a career that doesn't even exist yet. So I I think that that is great advice- To just take advantage of the opportunities as they arise and and not limit your, your search to what you what you know and what everyone else kind of talks about most
1: yeah absolutely
0: next question is what do you do to refill your tank
1: sure that's a that's a good one um for me keeping keeping active I think is something that athletes get into some trouble with after they're done they come from a structured a structured system where someone is setting all that up for them. And a lot of people, unfortunately, let their health like really fall apart. Once they get out of that, that structure, you know, not that you have to do what you were doing before, but you need to stay active, you know, mentally, psychologically, if you're not exerting all that energy that you did for all of your life, you know, how's your body going to deal with some of the stress yeah. and difficulties that come up. So staying active is huge. Um, you know, time, time with family or friends. Um, You know, if if you have kids or you have, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, wife, husband, you know, spending time with them, just like before you had to manage your time and make sure you put stuff like that in in a scheduled, you know, type of situation. Um, You know, you were very busy when you were a student athlete, you had to figure out your social time, you had to figure out when that was, you know, when that was acceptable, um, so to say, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, we'll call it, we'll call it social time before, you know, you shouldn't be doing social time before, uh, you know, before a meet or anything like that, you don't want to yeah. be, uh, you know, too out of it, but, you know, make sure you go out with your friends, go out for drinks, do all that. Um, you know, make sure you, you plan it out. It's going to become difficult. People are going to move. People are going to be, diff- diff- you know, people are going to be busy, you know, make sure you know, who's in your corner, um, and make sure you stay in contact with those people. It's, you're not going to, your 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 social circle is not going to be as large once you get out of school. So hopefully it'll be high it'll be high quality.
0: <laughs> but I agree with that. I think I'm naturally a little bit more of an introvert. And so I have I don't feel the need to have a huge social circle. And but spending my time on teams where I was forced to be around people all the time was good, I think, for my social skills and I've definitely seen in the years since I've graduated um, that I've leaned into some of the relationships that are more authentic and are Uh easier and kind of let some of the more forced relationships go and I think that applies to my social circle but also as well to networking to go back to our conversation a little bit earlier I think networking can sometimes be this scary oh I have to like Shove my business card into people's hands and tout every achievement I've ever made. When in reality, at least for me, networking is much more enjoyable and I think much more successful when it's authentic conversations between. I find it better in one-on-one or in small groups, kind of similar to what you were saying earlier. But
1: um yeah, absolutely, I think definitely.
0: That is great. Yeah, you got to find what
1: you have to find what works. What works best for you. And, uh, you know, who's going to, who you're going to stay attached with. A lot of things change, you know, even with moving jobs, you know, you might be really close with people at, at one company or something like that. And then you move somewhere else and, you know, it might be a whole new group of people that, that, that you're with and, you know, stuff like that is going to change. But again, just find out, find who's authentic, right? That's a good way to, way to put it for sure.
0: So what is your favorite book?
1: Sure. So the best book I would say, that I enjoy. There's a couple, but you know, top of the list is called the E Myth, uh, the letter E Myth. E is an exit, and it's a great book for people who are considering self-employment, starting a business. Um, it's a good actionable book because it talks about why people do that, why they transition, why they go doing, why they go and try and do their own thing, and are the reasons that you're going and trying to do your own thing? Are those the right reasons to be a business owner, to be self-employed, to be an entrepreneur? So it's really interesting for people who are considering that because a lot of people who may not know some of the reasons that you might not want to do that, it's good for that too. So it kind of gives you a good um, pros and cons of why you should do that. And basically the philosophy of the book is a lot of people just don't enjoy the structure they, they're in. They like to do what they're doing. Most people, you know, they try to move towards careers and activities where they like what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, however, the, the structure or the actual, you know, the physical place that they work or they think they could do it better. And there's this whole host of reasons why people, you know, go into self-employment and it kind of lays out what that expectation is if you are going to do that. Um, so that's, that's a real good book. There's also, um, I want to mention by a guy named Seth Godin, G-O-D-I-N. Seth Godin was the basically the inventor, the first person to successfully use internet marketing. Uh, and it was through email in the late 90s. Uh, his company, it was I had a family, my, my brother worked for him in the late 90s here in New York. He had a company called Yo-Yo Dine that was eventually bought by Yahoo in the early 2000s tech explosion of mm-hmm. that era. And he, their company, company of like 30 people, processed more emails through their email marketing campaigns for companies. They processed more emails, uh, something like in two months, than the entire country did in an entire two months. So there was, you know, they were doing more email than anybody else. So he's yeah. he has a... Oh, he has a million books out there. He has a great marketing book, uh, called the purple cow. There's some, uh, purple cows, I think it's called. So it okay. has some relevant career information in there too. Um, but it's pretty entrepreneurial based, uh, but it's all about building or, or, or even building your own personal brand. how you need to, if you really want to be successful, you need to get into something where you're in the top 10%, uh, to be successful. So if you're in the Top ten percent, you can be radically successful in what you do. Um, so he's another great author to look at. the 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 name of the author for the E Myth is, is slipping my mind right now, but those are two great books that I would I would definitely check out if you are interested in possibly you know becoming self employed or making a transition like that out of a you know a traditional type of job role.
0: Those sound like great resources. We will link the make sure to link those in the podcast notes. So anyone that's listening can click on through and probably buy them from Amazon if they're interested. The last question we have is who is someone else that we should have on the podcast?
1: Who, a, a person. I don't have a particular person in mind, but I want to I describe someone theoretically uh, okay. instead. I think that there's so much information out there and the student-athletes keep, keep tight in the social circles of, of other student athletes. You know, most of I've done about, I've done about 10 or 12 podcasts in the past year that I've started doing these being guests on on people's shows, you know, maybe like one a month and all of them are more student athletes basically. Um, so they, they keep a tight network. Mm -hmm. Um, so continue to have those people on, but maybe getting somebody who could give a, a different perspective Um, outside of the student athlete realm, I think would be helpful for student athletes because everybody, everybody defaults to what they're comfortable with. Right. So again, in that theme of, in that theme of getting, you know, out there and finding out something that you may have no idea that that even exists. So for me, that would be, you know, speaking with people who are more creative and people who, you know, do video editing and graphics or something like that. Cause that's something that I don't know anything about. So I could probably learn and, and, and get a lot of value there. And I'm sure that the same things that I have more, more expertise or background in, I'm sure that I could give them some information or, or value in some way, shape or form too. So in that, in that theme, I would I would go and find somebody who, who's not a student athlete for your, uh, for your podcast. And in the theme of what we were speaking about before with the interviews, perhaps find somebody uh, who was not a student athlete, who's now involved in hiring and or, or works in a job and, and works in, a, in an industry such as the financial world or sales or something like that, where there are a ton of athletes. And what's their perspective on all of us? <laughs> Maybe we don't wanna know. I don't know.
0: <laughs> that's, that's a great suggestion. So <laughs> I appreciate that little push outside of the, of the comfort zone for sure. Well, Matt, thank you so much for joining us today. I've really enjoyed this conversation about the different routes that are available to young professionals and to you're giving them specific tangible tips in applying and interviewing and getting uh, these roles that can be quite difficult to find.
1: Great. Thank you so much. Definitely enjoyed it. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to athlete to adult. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support us, subscribe to the podcast, or leave a rating and review. To catch the latest from us, check out our website or follow us on Instagram at Athlete to Adult. See you next time!